You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York, a community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be. Through 44. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake It would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you must also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. The word of the Lord. Good morning, Salem Tabernacle. I love that text that was just read. Two men will be in a field. One will be taken. One will be left. Two women will be working at the mill. One will be taken. One will be left. No one knows the day or hour of Christ's return, not even the Son himself. And depending on what Christian background you're from, this might be something you've never talked about. This might be something that scared you to death. The Left Behind series, you know, coming home from school and your whole family's gone because they were raptured and you weren't. Terrifying stuff. Like, what happens if the pilot on the airplane gets raptured? What happens to the airplane? We're not going to go near any of this stuff, but I can assure you, The return of the Lord is not something to fear. It's something to hope for. It's something we need. And it's something that when it occurs, everything will be healed. And everything will be rectified. And everything will be made right. Even if that process is painful, sometimes being made right is a hellish process. But a process nonetheless. And one that results in righteousness abounding in the earth. Just so you know, when I'm preaching there live, I never mind if kids are making noise or anything like that. Well, my neighbors are making a lot of noise right now out there, so I'm going to preach through that too. It's Wednesday afternoon for me. I'm recording this for you guys on Sunday, and apparently there's a block party out there or something. So if you hear noises, car alarms, dogs, whatever, I'm just going to preach right through it. It'll be funny. Uh, This reminds me of 2020 a little bit, but we got good at it. So Salem, I love you. I wish I could be there with you. I'm making sure that I heal properly. I'm following the doctor's orders. I'm excited to have Bishop Quentin Moore coming in uh, next week. So he'll preach on the 4th and then hopefully by the 11th, I'm ready to go. So um, let's see what happens, but just know I'm balancing, wanting to be there with making sure we heal properly. And I know you all support that and you're excited that, uh, you know, that hopefully we get to put this foot issue behind us. And I'm excited that I pastor a church that gives me the space to be able to heal when I need to. So Jacqueline and I, Theo and Sophia, we thank you. We love you. Uh, I want to get into this Advent season, Advent week one. This is the first day of the Christian new year. And we get to talk about mystical things like the return of Jesus. And so I'm going to read two more texts. Ian's going to put it up on the screen and we'll get started. So think about the text that was just read, the men in the field, the women at the mill, not knowing the day or hour. And here is a text from Isaiah chapter 2. 
the word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains, shall be lifted up above the hills, and all the nations shall flow to it. And many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He, who is the law, and he, who is the word of the Lord, Jesus, shall judge between the nations, and shall decide disputes for all the people. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Salem, I'm just going to pause right here. Let's just pray for a second. Holy Spirit, before we even begin to dive into what this means for us, we pray that this announcement, just the announcement that nation will not rise up against nation, and that we will not learn war anymore. I pray that that announcement of what is to come will begin a process that starts now in our world where cultures are colliding, people are colliding, nations are colliding. There's war, there's terrorism, there's all kinds of oppression and injustice and systems that are out of balance. Lord Jesus, we pray right now that today, right now, as we're here, that the knowledge and glory of the Lord would cover this earth as the waters cover the sea, and that the light of this announcement would begin to work from the future backwards into our present moment now. And if there's anything we can do to help that along, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would give us that wisdom and the courage to do it. Amen. These texts are my favorite of the entire year, and so I just I feel prayerful as we're going through them. And then a text from Romans Chapter 13, starting in verse 11. Besides this, you know the time, that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The title for our Advent series is called Awake the Dawn. You've heard me say this before that David says, I will awake the dawn. And I've said things like, we don't want the day to happen to us. We want to happen to the day. Well, even when we're talking about the perpetual night, and the perpetual day. The perpetual night is the season of darkness and brokenness, and perpetual day is the season of resurrection and restoration. Well, we want to awake that dawn, Salem. We want to be people who don't just awake the day, but we also awake the resurrection of Jesus and the return of Christ so that it doesn't happen to us, but we happen with it. And so... We wake up every morning with new mercies at our bedside. Mercies that are not from our sins from the day before. Mercies that are already ours for the sins we're going to commit today. When we wake up on the day of resurrection, we will be waking up to an eternity of new mercies. 
and a world that will be fully functioning in them. And if this seems like wishful thinking, I assure you, it actually takes deep intellect, trust, and faith to believe that what we see happening is going to have a comma at the end of it, but not a period. Jesus is going to have the final word with an exclamation point at the end of it. And that's what we're celebrating in Advent. In Advent, we're celebrating the waiting between the time that Jesus came and the time that he's going to come back. And we celebrate all the ways that he shows up in between those two times. Everything God does, he does at night first. In Genesis, evening and morning was the first day. Evening and morning was the second day. And so everything that God does, he does at night. So when the sun comes up, his work is there to be seen. So even if you're in a night season right now, he's doing work in your life. And when the sun comes up on your season, it won't just come up and relieve you of tension, but it will come up and show a garden that he's been building in you all along. That's going to happen each day. That's also going to happen at the end of history. This is the beginning of our training for what is ordinary. In six months, we're going to celebrate ordinary time again from like June all the way through November. And Advent and Epiphany and Lent and Easter and Pentecost, these seasons teach us what is ordinary. And what we know from today is it is ordinary to need hope and it is ordinary to have to wait. So if you're living a life where the best you have is hope because you haven't seen the fulfillment of it yet, that's ordinary. You're not failing because all you have is hope. We are deluded and we are deceived into thinking that we need to live lives where we don't need hope anymore because we've seen everything good that's ever going to happen. We live lives of trajectory. We live lives of journey. We live lives of exiles moving toward a homeland as our homeland moves towards us. And so our whole life is a life of hope and fulfillment, then more hope and fulfillment, then more hope. So in your parenting, in your relationships, in your career, the expectation to get to a point where you don't need hope anymore, it's wishful thinking. And Advent wants to end wishful thinking and thrust us into realistic thinking. And it's realistic to say, for the rest of our lives, we're going to need hope, and we're going to be waiting. And all during that time, amazing things are going to happen that keep us hoping and keep us waiting. Amen? But we're still going to need hope and we're still going to need to wait. Okay, one more boring thing and then we get into the texts. There are different Advent themes in the church's history. In a more contemporary way, in, in the recent years, the four Sundays of Advent are themed by hope, Peace, joy, and love. So Sunday one is hope, Sunday two is peace, Sunday three is joy, Sunday four is love. In the more orthodox tradition, the four Sundays are death, judgment, heaven, and hell. They're just not as happy as I am. I'm a Yankee Candle kind of guy. I don't want to be talking about death, judgment, heaven, and hell during Christmas time. But alas, we have to. And then one of the greatest theologians in the history of the Christian tradition, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he has a different four, and he came up with his four while he was in a concentration camp just before he passed away, just before he was killed. And so his four are waiting, mystery, 
redemption, and incarnation. So one of my friends was like, well, Pastor Bill, which ones are you going to, which themes are you going to use this year? And I said, you know what? I think there's something beautiful when you put them all together. And so I want to know what is the relationship that hope has with death? What's the relationship that peace has with judgment? What's the relationship that joy has with heaven? And maybe most importantly, what's the relationship that love has with hell? Today, I'm going to talk about how waiting helps the relationship between hope and death thrive. Hope and death don't have to be enemies in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so waiting is how hope and death can have a relationship with each other. So in our gospel text, Jesus is saying, you don't know the day or hour of my return. And he says, in the days of Noah, people were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage, and they had no idea that a flood was coming. And the minute it began to rain, they realized, oh my gosh, we were not prepared for this flood. And he says, so will it be when I return. People will be eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. They'll be working in the field. They'll be working at the mill. One will be taken and one will remain. So let me just say first, we're not going to talk about the rapture because personally, I don't believe that we're going to be raptured away from the earth. I believe that Jesus said, thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Revelation 21, behold, I saw a new heaven and a new earth coming to the old one. As in the days of Noah, when the flood came, listen, Salem, when the flood came, the wicked were swept away in the flood and the righteous remained to repopulate the earth. So if two men are in the field and one is taken, the thought would be, that it's the wicked that are actually taken, and the righteous remain to repopulate the earth. So in the Tim LaHaye movie, Left Behind, I think it turns out that you want to be left behind, because it was Noah's family that was left behind to repopulate the earth, and it's going to be Christ's family that's left behind to repopulate the earth again. I also have some theories about what will happen when he drives out the wickedness. I have a feeling that the two men in the field are both me. And the two women at the mill are both me. And as the work of Christ happens on my life, one will be taken, the wickedness in me will be taken, and the righteousness in me will remain. But we can talk about that for the next four weeks. It's going to be fun. I know I got a lot of you feeling all kinds of ways. This is Advent. It's going to stretch us. You can't really take notes during Advent because these are just big thoughts. In the movie The Shawshank Redemption, a great movie, Andy Dufresne gets put in solitary confinement because he blasted music in the whole prison and locked the door so that nobody could come and shut the record player off. Long story short, when Andy Dufresne gets out of solitary confinement, his friend Red, played by Morgan Freeman, Red says, how do you look so happy after being in solitary confinement? And Andy says, I had Mozart to keep me company. And what he meant was, I was listening to the music in my heart. Red said, I used to play the harmonica when I was a kid, but it doesn't make any sense to play the harmonica in prison. And Andy Dufresne says, here is where the music makes the most sense. Because it gives us hope beyond the walls. And Red gets up and says, 
Hope is a dangerous thing. It can drive men insane. And he storms off. This is an Advent theme. Because in order to have real hope, we have to face the things that we don't want to face. Red didn't want to have hope because he knew, odds are I'm going to be in prison for the rest of my life. And so hope is only going to disappoint me. We, as Christians, we don't want to be positive. Positivity is just pointing out the good and ignoring the bad. Hope is actually for the good and the bad. Hope says, good, come here. Bad, come here. Hope says, life, I have a word for you. Death, I have a word for you. Health, I have a word for you. Sickness, I have a word for you. Child doing everything I'm asking you to do, I have a word for you. Child doing nothing I'm asking you to do, I have a word for you. Life happening the way I want it to, I have a word for you. Life never happening the way I want it to, I have a word for you. Hope includes the good and the bad. Jesus says, I'm not telling you the time of my return. Two men will be in a field, one will be taken, one will remain. And what he's talking about is the time of our death. That's the primary of what he's talking about. The day I die is the day of the Lord. It's the day I go to be with the Lord, and it's the day the Lord comes to take me. All of us are facing the reality of our own death. All of us are. We all are going to die. Here's the thing, Salem. Jesus never promised to keep us from dying. He promised to deliver us from death. So we will all die. And then Christ will deliver us from death. Death is now the way into the day of the Lord. I know that could sound a little discouraging, but listen. Our time is limited. Life breaks. And we don't know when that day is going to come. Two men are in a field. You know, Ian is here with me right now. He's working and I'm working. I'm preaching and he set up this camera. We're both working. At any minute, one of us could pass. Two men could be here, you know, filming a Sunday morning sermon and one could be taken at any time. The oldest person in the room could technically outlive me. We don't know when that day is coming and we spend so much of our life trying to ignore that that day is coming. And when we ignore the reality that we're going to die, we ignore all of Christian hope because Christian hope is anchored in the empty tomb of Jesus. Christian hope is rooted in the fact that after he died, we went to see him in the place of death and he was delivered from death. He wasn't delivered from dying. He was delivered from death. And so we cannot have real hope if we ignore the fact that we're going to pass away, that our bodies are breaking down. I'm sitting here having part of my toe has been amputated. I'm not the spry 20-year-old I used to be. It's inspiring me to take care of my body now in ways that are going to keep me having the most possibility for the future. But it's also the reality that this body breaks. And if I ignore that, I won't have hope. I might have positivity, but I won't have hope. What does Jesus say? He says they were eating and drinking, marrying and being given in marriage, working in the field and working at the mill. All of these things that we do, if we do them to the extreme, we're doing them to, to numb us from the fact that we're getting older, that we're passing away, that time is taking from us, and that the world could conspire against us, and there could be a car accident, there could be a, a freak fall down a flight of stairs. You don't know when it's going to happen. And we have to face the truth that it will, and we don't know when. 
And Jesus is saying, there's a way that you can eat and drink. There's a way that you can function in your relationships. There's a way that you could work that numbs you from the reality that life, time is limited and that life breaks. And so Jesus is saying, wake up from the drunken stupors of numbing ourselves to reality. Hope does not exist in wishful thinking. Hope does not exist in my idealisms. Hope only exists in reality. Jesus has left hope in the truth of what is, not in the fantasy of what should be. And so when we face reality, when we look at it and say, you know, I wanted to be back to the church today, but my foot is healing slower than they thought. So I need to keep putting in the work to make sure it heals properly. That's if I ignore that, if I numb myself, if I try to push myself or numb myself or ignore those thoughts of frustration, then I'll be ignoring hope. Because the minute I said, you know what? I got to record a few sermons. I got to do what the doctor says. The minute I made that decision, Ian can tell you, I was filled with this rejuvenating excitement because all of a sudden when I faced what was actually happening, hope was there for me. That my life is bigger than what's going on with my body. That there's more amazing things happening around me than the ailment I'm dealing with. You're part of the amazing event happening around me, by the way, Salem. You bring me hope. And so people are eating and drinking, marrying and being given in marriage, working in the field, working at the mill, ignoring the fact that one will be taken and one will remain. What does Paul say in the Romans text? Paul reveals the difference between optimism and hope. He says the dawn is coming. The return of Jesus is coming. Or the day of our own death is coming. Both of them are the same. When I die, it's not the sun going down. It's the sun coming up to a new life. When Jesus comes back, it's not the sun going down. It's the sun coming up to a new life. Both of them are going to thrust us into the day of the Lord, whichever comes first. And he says, some of you are walking around drunk and in orgies. And I don't think we need to talk deeply about what orgies are. But I think one way that we can talk about orgies isn't just in the sexual way. It's also in how we indulge in our relationships in a way that numbs us from having to focus on the fact that those relationships are vulnerable that those relationships need work, that those relationships need maintenance, that those relationships have an expiration date on them one way or another. Even with my wife, the greatest relationship I have, it's until death do us part. There's an expiration date. So sometimes we physically get drunk. I'm not talking about drunk on optimism. Salem, some of us are drinking way too much. Some of us are drinking way too often and way too much. I'm not going to lie. I talk to a lot of you. It's happening. Because we don't want to face the fact that life is limited, that time is limited, and that life breaks. Sometimes we don't drink, but we overindulge in relationships and get clingy and manipulative and controlling because we need those relationships so that we don't have to face the fact that time is limited and that life breaks. He talked about sexual immorality and sensuality. You know what that is? That is a refusal to wait. It's needing to get everything out of a relationship right now before the context is set for certain types of actions. 
many of the people I know, we struggle with wanting more than what the relationship stands for. Quarreling and jealousy. Quarreling and jealousy only happens because we've, we've idealized our life and we think other people have our fantasy. And so we get angry and petty and chippy and jealous because we think they have the life that we're hoping to have. And if you immediately switched places, you'd realize they don't have the life you want to have. They have the same life that we all have. Limited time and life is breaking. That's what's happening for everybody. Limited time and life is breaking. And Advent says there's a dawn coming where life will stop breaking and time will start to give to you, not take away from you. And that is the hope that we're adventing for. That's the hope that we're pining for. That's the hope that we're waiting for. But we can't access that hope if we ignore the reality of the hope. Salem, I hope this is making sense. <laughs> Speaking of hope. So let's go to the Isaiah text. The Isaiah text ends with walk in the light of the Lord. What is the light of the Lord right now for us? It's the announcement that Christ has come, comes to us every day, and is coming one day to restore everything. He came and he restored the covenants of mercy and grace. He comes every day to remind us that he restored the covenants of mercy and grace. And he's going to come one day and fulfill the covenants of mercy and grace. And even though that hasn't happened yet, the light of the announcement should start something in our body. The light of the announcement should begin something in us. I just had JP and Diana here. When JP texted me, who did an amazing job last week, by the way, when JP texted me and said, uh, you know, Bill, we're 10 minutes away from the house. We got ready in the house. We were ready for them to come because we knew they were, we knew, we knew that they came once, that we talk on the phone all the time, and that JP was coming again. And so it was the excitement of him saying, I'm almost there that made us do things in the house to prepare for that coming. Paul is saying, Jesus is saying, even though you don't know the day or hour, it's nearer to you than when you first believed. So what does Jesus say? Lift, straighten up your back, lift up your head. Your salvation is drawing unto you. We must read and reread the enunciations of Advent and Christmas every year. To you is born this day a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Simeon holding Jesus saying, I, In this baby, in this infant, I have seen the salvation of Israel. Mary saying, Be it unto me according to thy word. Elizabeth saying, How is it that the mother of my Lord has entered my house? The angels saying, Take your wife. Don't be afraid to be with her. For that which is in her is of the Holy Spirit. It's going all the way back through the entire Handel's Messiah uh, and going all the way back to Isaiah saying, comfort, comfort my people for the temple is going to be built on the mountain once again. These announcements kick into our life a light that we can live by in the darkness. Every day we hear announcements. We hear announcements about who's running for president. We hear announcements about 
what's going on in Ukraine. We hear announcements about continuing racism and bigotry. We hear announcements about the next person to get sued for tax fraud. The next company that was a multi-billion dollar company and now its owners are going to prison again. We hear all of these announcements. The announcements about COVID, the announcements about vaccines, the announcements about how many, we've lost 3 million people in our country alone since 2020. Odds are you know somebody who knows somebody who's passed away from COVID. We need to keep hearing the announcements of Advent and Christmas so that they grab all the other announcements that we hear and call them up into the announcement that Christ has come, that he comes every day, and that he's coming once again. We will live by the announcement we listen to the most. What does Isaiah say? He says, when this begins to happen, we will go to the house of the Lord and we will learn his ways. Everybody say learn. We will learn his ways. It's not going to happen in the twinkling of an eye. We're going to slowly learn. And then it says, and we won't learn war anymore. So as we learn the new ways of Christ, we are immediately unlearning the old ways of the fallen self. I remember recently, um, my daughter, Sophia, she may or may not have told a little lie. And we were showing her uh, why lying can hurt things. And so I, I filled up a cup with water. And it was crystal clear water. And I said, Sophia, this water is trust. And then I put one little dab of food coloring in it. Blue food coloring. And she watched the food coloring swirl through the glass. And I put it on her dresser. And three days later, the whole cup, all the water was dark, dark blue. Sophia comes to me and she says, I get it. Even a little bit of lying could ruin trust. And I said, you're right. Now drink this. No, I'm just kidding. And she said, but here's my question, Dad. How do we get the water back? Is it always going to be blue forever? So I took her to the sink in the kitchen. And she got up on her step stool. And I was about to dump the water out. And the Holy Spirit said, don't. Put it under a running faucet. So I never dumped the blue out. I put the cup under a running faucet and water started to go into the cup. And as the clean water was going in, it was pushing out all of the water with the food coloring. And all of a sudden the water was clear again. And Sophia says, Jesus never dumps us out. He just fills us until all the bad is gone. When the day of the Lord begins to come, which it is now, the sun is starting to rise. The announcement of that will begin to pour into our limitations, our time limitations and our body limitations. It will begin to pour heaven into us in a way that displaces all of the fallen self. The jealousy, the quarreling, the drunkenness, the orgies, the objectifying creation to numb ourselves. <coughs> we will beat swords into plowshares. Listen, the swords don't, Jesus doesn't do away with the swords. They turn into plowshares. Salem, this is everything I believe in as a pastor. It says, so the swords will be beaten into plowshares and the spears will be beaten into pruning hooks. It doesn't say the swords will be thrown out and we will purchase plowshares. It says the swords will become the plowshares and the spears 
will become the pruning hooks, and the wicked who reject Christ will become the righteous who accept him when the day of the Lord returns. Two men will be in a field. There's a sword and a plowshare. Two men will be in a field. One will be taken, one will remain. The plowshare, the sword becomes a plowshare, and the false self becomes the true self. Swords are what we use when we want immediate actions in life. Because we don't want to face our we don't want to face the fact that time is limited, and we don't want to face the fact that we're breaking. And so we do things to get gratification quickly because it numbs us from our limitations. Swords get things done fast, but they violate. Plowshares get things done slowly, but they create. Spears get things done quickly, but they violate. Pruning hooks get things done slowly, but they create and cultivate. Salem, God is patient with you. He's patient with the season you're in. He's patient with your limitations. He knows our time is limited. He doesn't tell us, and I'm closing with this, he doesn't tell us when we will die or when he will come back because if we had that information, we would misuse it right away. But in Acts chapter 1, the disciples say to Jesus, is this the time that you'll restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus says, it's not for you to know times or seasons, but wait here and I will give you the gift of the Holy Spirit. So Salem, face your limitations. Be real about the fact that time is limited. Face that fear. And immediately when we give up having to know, we will be met with the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will fill our limitations. He will fill our brokenness. He will fill our fears. He will pour into us. The love of God has been poured into us by the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. And as the Spirit is poured in, the false self dissipates. And we can begin to experience the return of Christ now. Salem, let's stand to our feet this morning. The worship team can come up. I know it's still a little dark in the room because the video is still on here, but just so you know, there's two main men in the Bible, Adam and Jesus. And there's two main women in the Bible, Eve and Mary. All the other people hinge on those people, Adam and Jesus, Eve and Mary. Jesus is the last Adam. Mary is the last Eve. Adam said to Eve, your name is Eve, the mother of all living. And when Mary gave birth to Jesus, she gave birth to the world. And she truly was the mother of all living. When she gave birth to Jesus, she became the new Eve, the mother of all living. Two men will be in a field, Salem, Adam and Jesus. One will be taken and one will remain, Jesus. In you is Adam and he's wrestling Jesus and what will happen is, God won't destroy Adam, but he will put Adam inside of Christ. Jesus said, if you abide in me, and out of the two men will be one. There's this beautiful uh, Greek icon of Eve holding an apple, standing embarrassed with a serpent wrapped around her leg. And in front of Eve is Mary, and Mary is taking Eve's hand and putting it on her belly. And the picture is saying, the fruit of my womb 
is going to heal the fruit that you just ate that you shouldn't have. Two women will be at the mill. One will be taken and one will remain. Mary gives birth to Jesus and Eve is restored. Jesus is the last Adam and Adam and Eve are restored. We are called to be Christ in the earth as the church and we're called to be Mary in the earth as we birth Christ forth. We have to turn our swords into plowshares. Maybe our swords is drunkenness, orgies, overindulging in relationships, overindulging in our phones, our vices, our work, sleeping or staying awake. Those are our swords. They need to become plowshares. And you know what's crazy? Simeon said to Mary, a sword will pierce your soul. And I have a feeling that when the Roman soldier thrust his spear into the body of Jesus, the spear became a plowshare. The minute the weapons of violence entered the flesh of God, the swords became plowshares and the spears became pruning hooks. Jesus doesn't do away with those evil things. He brings them to himself and he heals them. And he's going to do that to you. This week one of Advent will not resolve. This sermon doesn't have an end to it because we're on a journey. And this is step one of the journey. And step one of the journey is simply this. Jesus is coming and for those of us who are asleep, he's coming like a thief in the night. But what is he coming to steal? He's coming to steal from you those things that keep you from him. He's coming to steal those things that keep you from him. But when it's all over and Christ finally comes back, you know what we'll realize? He's not the thief in the night. He's the thief of the night. He came to steal the night so that we live in perpetual day for all of eternity. That's what's coming. Face your limitations. Time is limited. Face the reality that things break. From our bodies to our relationships to our finances to everything. And once we face the reality that we're limited in time and limited in scope, there's a hope. There's an announcement that says face that fear. And then there's a light that will come upon us. And we will live out these days giving glory to the Father loving our neighbor, learning from Jesus and unlearning the ways of war and hastening his return. Salem, you're looking at it in front of me right now. It's the, it's the bread. It's on the table. We use blue fabric during Advent to show. It's a, it, it depicts the sky right about at the beginning of dawn. It's the blue that you see when you look up and you see the stars. With every eye closed, and I'll have the elders look around here. If anybody is here this morning, and you're saying, the fear of death or the fear of losing somebody else has a grip on me, or my body does feel limited, or my life feels limited because of what people have done to me, or decisions I've made, or just age, whatever, sickness. If you're here and you're just saying, I need that hope, would you just raise your hands? All across the room, if you're saying, I need this resurrected Advent hope, just raise your hands. Holy Spirit, you see every hand that is raised. And I pray that you would reach your hands down and touch the hands of those who have their hands up. And I pray that you would give them the courage to look directly at time. And to look directly at their bodily limitations. And look directly at the limitations that systems and oppression and prejudice have just laid on our lives 
and I pray that there would be a hope that rises above those limitations so that we live out our days not in wishful thinking of fantasy and idealism, but in spirit and in truth, looking at what is and saying, how does heaven show up in these limitations today? You can put your hands down now. Lord Jesus, on the night when you were betrayed, on the night when it was dark, maybe the darkest it's ever been, you took bread and you gave thanks because hope of the resurrection was already operative in you. You knew that you were going to die, but you also knew that you were going to be delivered from death. And so you took bread and gave thanks. And you said, this experience of my body, the experience my body's going to go through of death and resurrection, it's going through it for you. And you handed us the bread and said, this is my body broken for you. But this is also the event made your event. You too will die and you too will be delivered from the tomb. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that you descend on this bread and make it for your people the body and blood of Jesus, the food and drink of new and unending life in him. And I pray that you descend all over Salem Tabernacle and make them for the world the body of Christ, the realistic, honest body of Christ who goes into the world and preaches the good news that you have come, that you come and show up every day, and that you're going to come and restore everything at the end of time and that we don't need to be afraid of our limitations because we can thrive in them because it's in you that we live and move and have our real being pray all these things in your name amen salem if you're on the left side of the room or my left side of the room you can come down the aisle if you're on the right side you can come down the aisle Elder George and Elder Bill will be here. Uh, they can come up right now and get the dishes. The worship team is going to play. Salem, I love you so much. Advent 1 in the books. Look at your bulletins. Look at those announcements. The worship team is going to minister. I love Thanks for listening to the Salem Tabernacle Podcast. For more information about us, including gathering times and our location, check us out online at salemtabernacle.com.